Pentecost. They were in one mind, one accord. And then the fire came. The way that fire from heaven is going to come is if the church is unified. Not with a bunch of completely different thoughts, but under one roof, with one voice, worshiping one God. Jesus is it. There's nothing else. Muhammad's still in the ground. Allah is still in the ground. There's no other alternative to Jesus Christ. He's it. He's the first and He's the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega, which is and which was and which is to come. He's the Almighty. Hallelujah. That's the way the fire will come. Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Welcome all visitors to McCormick's Creek. And uh, if, if uh, 50, 60,000 fans can get in the Coliseum and scream their heads off, I want to let you know that we're not crazy. We're just addicted to Jesus. Not to make you all look bad, but I'm looking at a bunch of ex-alcoholics and drug addicts and whatever else. And you've all been delivered. And you have a right to shout. This world may try to keep us down. But the fact remains, you cannot keep somebody that was bound for a long time, that's been set free, keep them down. You'll never keep this church down. My God, I'm going to preach before I get a chance to preach. It's good to have Brother Williams and his wife here this evening. It's good to have uh, my friend, Brother Ron Elliott, here this evening. God bless them. Uh, you may be seated. <coughs> Hallelujah. In the Lord, gracious. In the Lord, so loving. Hallelujah. I want to jump right into tonight. I feel like God has, has dealt with me about something. And uh, it's, it's funny that Brother Williams came tonight. Uh, and I, it's, it's, it's strange I had... This must be from God because when I wrote my notes, I wasn't thinking about uh, those pictures I gave Brother Williams some pictures of, of uh, this was 10 years ago, approximately, we went to Palau. And I brought those pictures tonight to him. Of all the years and the days I could have gave you those pictures, I gave them to you tonight. But one of my great memories besides uh, my children being born and uh, other than my beautiful wife walking down the aisle, and, you know, probably going to Palau, uh, one of the most beautiful, absolutely, if you've never been to Palau, you, uh, you need to, uh, to get online and check some of the pictures out. It's, it's absolutely incredible. It's one of my favorite memories in my life. I'll never, ever forget it. Never. One day when we were in Palau, 
I'll never forget it. Brother Williams, he's going to laugh when I say it. We rented a car. And the roads in Palau were not like the nice I-70 that we are accustomed to driving on. Matter of fact, they don't even compare to the worst road in either Greene County or Owen County. And I remember taking this little, whatever it was, compact, had an engine the size of a sewing machine engine. And I remember like it was yesterday because Brother Williams was the one driving. (laughs) And I'm not saying Brother Williams is a bad driver. John Andretti couldn't have missed all these holes that we hit. In my head, I'll never forget it. I I walked away with a headache because my head was bouncing off the top of that roof. That road was so horrible. And what would have taken probably 10 minutes driving down 46 took us two to two and a half hours to get to the end of that island. Island that was seven miles wide and 30 miles long. And I remember we finally ran out of road. Mud, it had rained. It rains every 35, 40 minutes for about 15 minutes just pouring. The clay was red. You remember the dirt would stick to the bottom of your shoes. I don't know how we got there and I don't know how in the world we got out, but that joker did it. And I'll never forget it. I think that's why I have problems with my, I'll see you after church. (laughs) But I remember we drove as far as we could. And then we got out to walk. And Brother Williams, he's so adventurous. He's like, let's go further. Let's, 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 Let's push on. And he, let's walk through this place. And we walked through about five minutes of jungle. And I remember looking at the, ha- the huts and the houses that were blown to pieces from, from uh, hurricanes or whatever hit the island. And you could see the trees that had been laid over uh, in the, this jungle. And it was just an absolutely incredible. And we came to the end of the jungle. And I remember is when we stepped off into the white sand, absolutely beautiful white sand, we come to the beach, and you could see the water, but you could look down the coastline at the very end of Palau, and you could see the foliage of trees hang over the beach, just real long limbs hanging over. And uh, I remember walking through the beach, and it it was a beautiful day. There was not a cloud in the sky, and I believe that Brother Williams and I and maybe one other person, that man that was fishing, at that end of the island, was there. And I remember standing on that rock embankment, and I was absolutely blown away by the beauty. It was just, I I couldn't couldn't absorb it. I had never seen anything like that. I was from southern Illinois. I mean, I I see trailer parks, and and I I was blown away. But something that, Something hit me that made me forget about the beauty. And it was the fact that I had went, we had went 
as far as we could possibly go. We ran out of road. We ran out of walking distance. And we were stand, standing at the end of the, wall, uh, the edge of the, uh, the land and looking out into thousands of miles of ocean. And a fear hit me. And the fear was that I had no place to go. I had went as far as I possibly could. I, I could swim all right, but I wouldn't have made it that far because about 400, mile, uh, 400 yards out into the ocean, the coral reef, was a wall of water probably 25 to 30 foot tall hitting the coral reef, and it was just a wall. And I became terrified. I never said anything to Brother Williams, but I was terrified because I went as far as I could go. So tonight, I want to ask this, a question, this question to you. Have you ever felt in your life, it's a loaded question, I know you have, that you went as far as you could go? Have you ever felt like you had done all that you could do? All that you could do about a situation and there was nothing else, absolutely nothing else that you could do about it? Have you ever prayed so hard and you wept and you cried and you got so tired and you prayed so hard that you just lost the desire to pray? Have you ever experienced pain and then felt like that you would never, ever see the end of it? Has there ever been a time in your life that you have felt that your ministry or ministries would never, ever expand and all that you'll ever be, all that you ever will be is what you exactly what you are at that very moment? There's no room to grow. It's that bleak voice that says it matters not how hard you try, it doesn't matter how, try, how hard you try to change. It doesn't matter what your choices are in life. There is absolutely nothing, nothing outside of where you are right now. You are completely stuck. You have reached your highest potential in life. There is nothing left for you. It's a feeling of hopelessness. It's, it's a feeling that tries to discourage and it tries to keep us from going on, regardless what stands in front of us. You become paralyzed and you cannot do anything about your situation. And if, if we feel that, and at times, if we're not careful, we will let our fears and we will let our lack of faith in going forward to keep us from obtaining what God has for us in the future. It was never, ever God's intention for His church to refrain from going forward and becoming what God wants us to be. It was never God's intention for a church to stay the same. It was never God's intention for the church to stay the same number. It was never God's intention for the church to sing the same old songs like they do every week and never change and never grow. It was never God's intention for His church, His ministries, to become dwarfed and not grow outside itself. It's not God's will for us to stand still. 
We have to keep going, regardless of what is going on around us. That's what we told Brother Jacob uh, Rubel the other day when we stood there in the hospital room and we watched his children stand around him and they laid their heads on him as he as he struggled and fought to take his last breath of air and we watched him die. We seen his children there crying but me and Brother Jacob Rubel and Brother Anthony Krauss understood that that was not the end of the road. There's a lot of people that think the end of the road is death but it's not because at the end of death is a resurrection. David said it best when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say I stood there. He didn't say I camped there. He didn't say I sit down to take a break. But he said I walked through it. There's going to be times when we come through that valley and it looks like we can't go any further. But you can rest assured that Jesus is going to get you through it. It's not the end of the road. It's not for the time for the church to sit down and take a break and ponder what's going on ahead. We need to stand up by faith and keep going regardless of what our circumstances look like. We let the devil convince us that we're at, uh, that's all there is and that we'll, we'll all, we're only that we'll, we're, we're, we're at our highest pinnacle of life. If if we let the devil let us think that you're never going to grow, it'll happen. If you believe that your ministry will never grow, you'll never work on it. If we believe that we'll never get money for that building next door, we'll just forget about it and we'll waste the money elsewhere. You've got to believe that you can go on. You've got to keep walking. We've got to keep having bake sales. We've got to keep speaking faith. Hallelujah. <laughs> you have my title back there, sis. Non plus ultra is what the sign read. The sign read that. Non plus ultra. Doesn't make sense to make sense in a minute. It become the national motto of Spain, adopted from the personnel. Uh, or the personal motto of Charles I of Spain, an author of the palace of Charles V in Grenada in 1985 had researched the origin of the motto. It is closely associated with the pillars of Hercules, which according to Greek mythology were built by Hercules near the Straits of Gibraltar, making the edge of the then known world according to uh, mythology, the pillars bore the warning sign that said non plus ultra which interprets nothing further beyond 
These words served as a warning to the sailors and navigators to go no further. Whether they truly believed that the world was flat or whether they believed it was round, that you could travel without falling off the end of the world. The message to the ones that lived there, it kept them contained. It kept them in fear for going on. It kept them there in fear that if I cross the line, there is nothing else for me. The sign implemented that if you leave here, if you, you can leave if you want, there's nobody holding you back. But if you do, you will die. You will not ever find success outside of this place. You will not find any life outside of where you're at right now. You need us in order for you to have life. I'm sure that there are many that had went far, as far to pack up their belongings and get rid of their, their, their possessions and their homes. And I'm sure that they, they had the moms and had to get rid of family uh, heirlooms and stuff and to get rid of it. And she hated to see it part. And then the kids had to leave their schools and, and leave their friends behind and their family. And uh, there was tears. But all of a sudden, when they got on the ship to sail out of the harbor, all of a sudden they got to a sign that said, there is nothing further beyond. None plus ultra. And all of a sudden, all that energy they spent trying to get ready to go forward they turned around and went back with nothing and it felt empty and didn't have anything left. What a waste of time and energy it must have been to prepare for a journey and then read a sign and turn right around and feel the disappointment that they're stuck. There's nowhere else for them to go. But isn't that just like the voice of the devil? Isn't that just like the voice of this world? Isn't that just like the voice that wants to contain you and keep you from having a breakthrough in your life? You try to get through. You try to get better. You try to improve. And you try to get past failures. You try as hard as you can. And all you do is you get to a sign. And somebody's looking at you saying, there's no reason for you to go beyond this point. You'll always be here. You can't go any further. How many times have you seen that sign in your life? How many times have you felt the need to go forward and all of a sudden the devil says, Oh, you remember what you had here or what you did there. You can't go any further. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the Apostle Peter. How he must have felt when he looked into the face of Jesus and he realized that he had denied the Savior for the third time. His mind went back to that day after he got done eating with the Master. And Jesus looked at him and said, You'll deny me three times before the cock crows. And he said, Oh no, not me. And all of a sudden, he comes to the realization, I've done it. I've went as far as I could go. And the devil looks at him and says, Oh wait a minute, Peter. It doesn't matter what kind of miracles you've seen in your life. It doesn't matter that you walked on water. You're done. This is as far as you could go. It 
He realized that he had failed the master. He began to remember what happened to his friend Judas Iscariot just days before when he, he Judas couldn't take it after his failure. And he wraps a rope around his neck and he jumps out of a tree. Peter begins to envision himself just dying. I, I can't make it any longer. He just looked in the face and he denied the master. can bet, you can bet your bottom dollar that the enemy was right there to let him know this is the end of the road for you, Peter. You have gone far enough. It's the end of the road for you. You'll never go anywhere in life. You'll never have a ministry. You'll never be able to serve God because you're, you're here now and, and you supposedly love God and you failed. And not just did it in secret where everybody else knows about it. There's nothing else for you. All of those miracles you witnessed, they don't mean anything now. I feel like I'm in the Holy Ghost tonight to tell you the sign may read nothing further beyond. It may try to discourage you from going forward in life. But I want to let you know that the sign has no power over us. You're not subject to the voice of the world. You're not subject to the naysayers. You're not subject to the ones that look at you in the face and say, this is it. You're going to die. I'm not subject to it. If you've been baptized in the name of Jesus and been filled with the Holy Ghost, that sign is subject to you. When that sign says you're, you're not going to go any further, the sign is now subject to you. You can tell that voice where to jump off. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You have no power over me. Oh, somebody in here needs to stand to the feet and look that sign in the face. Somebody needs to stand up and look at that spirit in the face and say, I'm not bound by you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You ask how in the world is it possible for somebody like Peter to go further beyond after what he did? How do you look at Jesus and deny him and then move past it? How do you walk out of the doors and, and, and fail and, and then walk back in here and then act like everything's all right? How do you do it? One time, he had the faith to walk on water. Just hours before, he even had enough faith and courage to wheel a sword into the fence of the Master. And all of a sudden, Jesus ain't standing on his side anymore. And all of a sudden, he's standing and confronted by a little wee little girl. 
And she's the one pointing at him. And all of a sudden, he wasn't scared at, at the fact that the servant was standing there and the whole army was standing there getting ready to kill all of them. But all of a sudden, Jesus wasn't right here. Comes to the end of his road. He has nowhere to hide. He's embarrassed. He, he's ashamed of his failure and, and the defeat. And the sign now says to him, you, you, you're done. There's nothing else. But you, do you know what I like the most about the Apostle Peter? What I like about him was that he knew how to ignore the voice. See, Judas didn't know. See, Jesus would have forgiven Judas. Because what's worse, a denial or a betrayal? Neither one. It's the same thing. But Judas couldn't ignore the voice. It kept taunting him. You're not going to go any further. You're not going to go any further. You're not going to go any further. And all of a sudden, he said, I'm not going to go any further. I'm not going to go any further. You're right, voice. But Peter somehow began to roll the index out around in his mind. And all of a sudden, he, he began to search through the files of his mind and in his heart. And he remembered that red letter in the Bible that said, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not, has never, will never prevail against it. He said, boys, you've come too late to tell me that I'm just going to end it all here. I'm part of a church that it can't be destroyed by the gates of hell. I'm telling you something. Hell might come against you. It might tell you that you can't make it. But you've been built upon a rock that cannot be moved. Cannot. Cannot be moved. Cannot. Hallelujah. Weeks later, he preached the greatest message that was ever preached in all, in all of history. And since then, we all preach it and we want to try to preach it like him. But he stood there in boldness and he looked at a bunch of people around that tried, wanted to kill him. And he stood there in boldness. What did he say? Repent. Some of you like to hold on to your excuses. Yeah, but you don't understand, Brother Hill. You don't understand my situation. You don't, you don't understand, Brother Hill. Um, I come from a broken home. You don't understand, Brother Hill. I took too many drugs to, to ever make it right to, 
for God. I, I can't ever make it. I, I've done too many things. I, I've hurt too many people. I, I have too much bitterness in my heart. I have too much unforgiveness in my heart. And you start making excuses. And what could be reality? You throw it out of the picture. And you say, there's no way that I could go further. I can't go anywhere else than where I'm at. And then you start making those excuses. But listen, if you could build a time machine and you could go back in time and you could try to convince Noah that there was nothing further beyond than where he was at after God told him to build a big old boat to survive a flood, he would look at you and he would say, Step back, man. I'm building an ark and I'm going to float to safety and my family's going to be safe. Hey! Listen here, the folks with excuses. I would like to see you convince Abraham, the father of the faithful, that his family would die and be forgotten about. And then he would remind you, do you remember what God spoke to me? He said my family and my children would be the number of the stars in the heavens and on the sands of the sea. I dare you to try to tell Moses, you don't have the guts to face Pharaoh. What he do? He walked in there with the uh, speech problem and all. He said, let my people go. I dare you to tell the children of Israel after they looked back and the water swallowed their enemies and every bit of problems that they dealt with for 400 years, gone. Convince them there's nothing else. Hey, tell them again after manna fell from heaven and shoes grew on their feet. You tell them again when they walked again for the second time to the Jordan River. And they said, we can't make it because there's giants and there's a Jordan. And all of a sudden, the water split. Tell them. (laughs) Tell Elijah there's nothing else just before God sent fire down from heaven and soaked up or uh, destroyed that uh, altar with fire. Hey, try to urge David that he's at the end of his road just before he walks down into a valley and face the biggest man in the world with just a sling. I dare somebody to tell Bethlehem and the three wise men that they're hopeless. Everything's gone. All of a sudden, some baby boy was born in their manger. I dare you to walk into that wedding party and tell those people the party's over just after Jesus changed the water into wine. I dare you to try to keep Zacchaeus from climbing that tree. Jesus don't want to go home with you. Get away from me. This ain't over. I dare somebody look at blind Bartimaeus and keep him from saying, Lord, have mercy upon me. And God restores his sight. Somebody try to hold the hand back the woman with the issue of blood and say, God don't want nothing to do with you. This is the end of the road. They kept going forward when everything around them crashed. They kept walking said, I'm not going to believe the sign. Somebody tell Peter, just before he decides to make that big decision, to step out into that raging water. One 
would be hard-pressed if they could go back in time and walk right into the Mark, Mark chapter 5 and look at that man of demoniac with the devils of Gadara and look at him and say, Listen, buddy, you've been in this tomb for a long time and your, your wounds are busted open. You ain't got, Nobody likes you. Matter of fact, the whole townspeople hate you. I, want, I don't want you to try to come out of there. You're hopeless. This is the end of the road. And all of a sudden, Jesus steps onto the scene. And a man with over 6,000 devils. That's good preaching. Come on. Oh. That's good preaching. Oh. Try to convince him. Good preaching. Good preaching. Oh. I'm not just talking about failure or sin tonight. I'm talking to some of you that have had callings in your life. You've had dreams and aspirations. You've had pain. You've had sicknesses and diseases. The doctor said, no, you're bound by Crohn's disease. There's no hope for you. You're going to have arthritis. You're diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and there's no hope for you. Oh, you have cancer. And there's nothing left. This is the end of the road. Now remember, my mind goes back, Brother David, to that little boy, my friend's little boy, that laid in a hospital bed in a coma for 90 days. And the doctor looked at him, her and said, Oh, you, it's all right. We're just going to keep holding on. Fake faith and get... Fake hope, and and then they just kept it's all right. But basically, they went behind their backs and said, This is the end of the road. Doctors started talking about it, and all of a sudden, one night, the apostolic men of McCormick's Creek got downstairs and started praying and interceding for a boy that had been in a coma for nine days, 90 days. And all of a sudden, it wasn't too long after we prayed, that boy woke up out of that coma. You come too late to tell me this is the end of the road. Go back and tell Mary and Martha. Lazarus had been dead for four stinking days and he stunk. You go, go to the tomb and talk to Mary. But she walks up to a tomb and her expectations was to see a sign that said non plus ultra. I thought there was supposed to be a sign here. Jesus spent his three and a half years in ministry. People loving him, disciples loving him, and, and just and it is healing and, and, and raising people from the dead, and, and all of a sudden he's gone. And all of a sudden they come to an empty tomb, and he's he was expecting a sign. He's expecting a sign. And the angel said, Listen, there's no sign here. What do you mean? I thought this was the end of the road, and Jesus his words come back when they when they remember begin to remember when Jesus said, "Go ye and tarry in Jerusalem until I send my Comforter." 
What do you mean, Jesus? I can't go with you. No, I'll do one better than that. You go there, and I'm going to go with you. I thought this was the end of the road. No. And then 2,000 years later, that road is still going strong. This church is still, this church is stronger than it was 2,000 years ago. It wasn't the end of the road when he said it's finished. That was the beginning. The end of the road is when we get to the promised land. Somebody stand up. Come on. Let's everybody stand up. I want the music to come. Hallelujah. Come on. Let's shout to God. Let's give God thanks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this is a time of honesty now. How many of you come here tonight and you felt like it was over? Come on, be honest. In some of your situations, I'm not just talking about life. I'm talking about your pain and your depression. God's going to put an end to it. And he wants you to come here right now. And the ministry is going to pray for you. Matter of fact, I think it would be very, very in order for everybody to follow them. Come on, if you have a need, I want, I want the rest of that's, that's uh, strong in your spirit. I want you to follow them. Come on, this church, it's time for this church to start living unity. It's time for this church to start backing up the ones that are coming down here praying. Hey, it's not just up to these ministry up here. They're tired too, some of them. Some of them's tired. Some of them feel like they're at the end of the road once in a while in certain situations. Come on, let's unify together. We're going to play a slow song here for right now, but here in a minute, we're going to let God take over, and we're going to praise God. Hallelujah.